your point earlier, it does take a village. We have to be mentors to our youth. We have to be as aunts, uncles, parents, friends, or any, anybody who has a role in our youth's lives. We have to pay attention and we have to take it seriously. We can't just, you know, push it off to the side and say, they'll get over it. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling in today, we have Laura Morton and Joan London. Laura has written over 50 books, and a staggering 21 of them are New York Times bestsellers. Joan was the host of Good Morning America for nearly 20 years, giving her the title of longest-running female host ever on early morning television. Her latest book, Why Did I Come Into This Room? A Candid Conversation About Aging, is available now. Joan, Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're here today to discuss the new documentary, Anxious Nation. Anxious Nation is directed by Academy Award winner Vanessa Roth, executive produced by Kathy Ireland, and co-directed, written, and produced by Laura. The documentary takes a deep look into the epidemic of anxiety in the United States and, and how it shows up in our kids' lives, often having a crippling impact on both children and their families. Laura, I want to ask you, what inspired you to make this documentary? Gabe, you know, I'm the, the mother of an anxious child, and it was around 2018 when I was sitting in my office feeling incredibly defeated because I felt like I was failing my, my daughter. Whatever we were doing, it just did not seem to be working, and she wasn't getting better, and for a long time, I couldn't even get an answer about what was going on with her. So I put a, a post on Facebook. I just wrote, kids and anxiety, who's dealing with it? And I got a lot of responses. I got a lot of short responses on Facebook. I am, we are, my granddaughter is. But the private messages that started coming in were the ones that really rocked me because they came from people that I knew, people that I knew well. And we had never talked about what was going on in their homes any more than I had talked about what was going on in my home. And I wanted to know, are we more anxious or are we just more aware of it? I wanted to know why this was happening, and I, I really wanted to understand what we could do about it. I hear all the time that if we just kept kids off social media and turned off the 24-7 news cycle, that this whole problem would just resolve itself. Joan, as someone who hosted the news as a journalist, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I really do feel that the addiction or, or the obsession with social media has really had a great deal to do with the increase in anxiety and sadness and depression. And look, I'm sure that the news plays a big part in it, the fear over school shootings. I mean, just the national political discourse going on today has got to also impact them. Um, but I really feel that this obsession with the phone, which they almost just can't let go of. And I remember um, going to a store like eight minutes from my house and my daughter kept snapping pictures of herself as she'd hold the phone all these different places. And I said, why did you just take 12 pictures of yourself in this short ride? She said, mom, I'm on Snapchat. Like, what don't you get about Snap and Chat? So if, if she has to take a photograph of herself every time she says hello or a follow-up statement, I mean, teenage girls are just inherently worried about how they look, how other people think they look. And you know, this just exacerbates it. 
And and now they've got TikTok. And I know a lot of people love TikTok, but I find it amazing for us to be able to grasp the concept that China, who produced it, banned it because they say it's children's opium. And and now our our kids are on it. So, I mean, I worry because I just see them all the time on this. And it, it allows them to see what other people are doing that they're not invited to. And I think parents, it's hard to say no, Gabe. I mean, it's the hardest thing as a parent to say, no, you can't do that. And to put a rule into place, it's easier to say yes, especially with working parents. You know, they, and kids will wear you down until you finally say, okay. Because, of course, they say everybody else can, which is that phrase that's so untrue. But we give in. <laughs> and so you've got this lax parenting. You've got the ease of handing the kid an iPad and, you know, then they don't they don't come to you. And by the way, if they're in their rooms on their phones for hours after school, it kind of feels, and this isn't a cop out, but I'm just going to say, as a parent, it feels like they don't need you as much. They're not coming to you. They're not asking you anything. Like all that builds up to a point where right now I think that kids, you know, they go to their rooms, they order whatever food that they want on Uber Eats or DoorDash. You don't even know that they were hungry, let alone that they you know, had food come to the door and they went and got it. It's just a complete new independent way of living. And kids actually need the guidelines. There's this part of me that completely agrees with you because I think of my own childhood, right? When I was hungry, I I did have to talk to mom. And this provided an avenue for my mother to have a reason to talk with me, a reason to interact with me, a a reason even just to, you know, while it was microwaving that, that, that took two minutes, but my mother was amazing at getting information out of me in two minutes while, you know, the hot pocket was heating up. And you're right, that that does seem to be missing in modern homes and in modern home life. But the devil's advocate in me wants to say, so do we really believe that if we just took all the iPads away from children, that anxiety would decrease tomorrow? I think that social media and our devices are more of a symptom than a cause. I think they're a symptom of much larger issues like social isolation, loneliness, disconnection. Um, We were talking earlier about it takes a village. Well, we were meant to be, you know, a village. I don't think it's realistic to think that devices are going anywhere. I don't think it's realistic to think that the kids are, you know, going to put their phones down. They have, you know, they're, they're on their screens all day long with school now. We were never on our screens for school. So the reality is, this is the reality. The question is, can we do better? I actually think that the social media companies, right, that the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the TikToks and the Snapchats, I think they need to be held accountable. And I agree with you that social media, if they were had enough brilliant minds to come up with how to make social media, they should have the equivalent of brilliance within their company to figure out how to tempt down some of the volatile language. Frankly, it's always been fascinating to me that social media platforms can use my browsing history to show me ads for things that I might want to buy. And honestly, they're incredibly accurate. But then those same companies claim to be powerless when it comes to monitoring other areas of their platforms. Laura, you mentioned that your daughter's struggle with anxiety was the impetus for your documentary, Anxious Nation. Can you tell us how anxiety has impacted your daughter and your home life? Uh, thank you for asking. Yeah, so <laughs> anxiety is a shapeshifter in our home. So what made my daughter anxious yesterday might not be the thing that triggers her today. 
Uh, and like currently, we're having a lot of issues with my daughter uh, needing to come home from school during the day. She's just having bouts of anxiety that she can't make it through the day of school. And, you know, the schools are so ill-equipped to manage the demand of what's happening in, in our school system, what's happening with our youth. And I see it every day. Parents are overwhelmed. They're, they're exasperated. We don't know what to do. We think we're coming at this from a place of love. We want to solve the problem. We want to make things better. But in, in the process of doing that, in many ways, we're actually pouring a little fuel on the fire. We're making things worse. And so in, in my daughter's case, I've been dealing with her anxiety, which I didn't know was anxiety since she was three years old. It wasn't until she was 10 that somebody said to me, this is anxiety. So we went through seven years of me trying to figure out what is going on. And I think so many parents, on average, it takes parents two to eight years to seek help. I find that statistic staggering because we say this in the film, if you had a rash, you'd be at CVS getting cortisone. And if the rash didn't go away in a week, you'd be in a dermatologist's office. And we don't treat mental health the same way that we treat physical health. Yeah, there's definitely been a difference in the way that we treat mental health issues versus other health issues, especially in our children. But that's been happening for a really long time. I, I think back to my own childhood, and I clearly had the symptoms of anxiety and bipolar disorder starting in my really early teens, maybe early as, a, as, as 11 or 12. But I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. I was 26 years old. And my parents were absolutely loving and engaged at parents. But they just didn't look at me and see mental illness. They they assigned the symptoms of mental illness to the difficulty of puberty. Boys will be boys, mm -hmm. generalized teenaged angst, and so on and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Now I'm I'm 46 now, so I can honestly say parents have been dismissive of their children's mental health issues long before we had social media. Yeah. So this isn't really new. It's not new. This that's the thing that that I learned on this journey is that this isn't new. In fact, you just named all of the things we call it, right? So, you know, behavioral issues, that's just teenage girls. And and it's inconvenient. At the end of the day, having a kid who has high anxiety is inconvenient. I need to get to work. I can't deal with this today. I, you know, you need to get to school. These are things that I think happen in many, many, many homes. And so what happens is, you know, in the film Anxious Nation, we talk a lot about anxiety being like a cult leader in the home. And the cult leader dictates what's going to happen when. And if you are listening to the cult leader, then everything is fine and the cult leader being anxiety. But if you start to like take the cult leader on, that's when you have real problems because everybody can live by, to Joan's earlier point, Joan, when you said sometimes it's just easier to say yes than no, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens with parents. They're exhausted. They're exasperated. They don't know what they're dealing with. They have things they need to do. They have a Zoom call. They have, you know, you name it, right? And so they just go, fine, yes, done. And then the anxiety wins. You know, I learned by watching Anxious Nation that um, I'm doing the disorder. My husband and I do the disorder because we'll do anything and we'll change where we're going to go to dinner. We'll change whatever. We've changed our way of talking to our daughter um, in order to not have her break down in her anxiety. And by doing that, we are doing the disorder. Um, but it's, it's so hard not to because you can't rationalize 
with an anxiety-ridden teenage girl. And if you try to just rationalize them and say, yes, but you shouldn't feel that way because everyone's not looking at you in the hall and they're not all smack talking about you, you can't get anywhere by doing that. You know, and we, we've gone through psychiatrists after psychologists in trying to learn ourselves in how to just have conversation with our daughter so that we try to get through to her without alienating ourselves from her. Because, you know, one thing I've learned, we have our vision of how our child grew up. They have their own visions through their anxiety-ridden eyes of how they grew up. And when I sometimes sit and listen to my 18-year-old daughter tell a psychologist what her life was like growing up, you know, mom and dad, they cared more about the other three. I was the one on the outside. I wasn't as good at sports. It is so totally off the mark from what I consider was the reality that took place in our home. This sort of reminds me a little bit of treatment in psychosis. One of the things that we tell when we're working with somebody with psychosis is if they say that there is a dragon there, never, ever say that there's no dragon yep. because that person sees the dragon. And if you say there's no dragon there, they will never trust you again because who are they going to believe you or their lying eyes? Exactly. When I was listening to you talk about your daughter's anxiety and, and working with kids with anxiety, when you say, hey, calm down, nobody's talking about you, there's nothing there, they believe mm -hmm. it. They, it. Whether it's true or not is really irrelevant, just like in the case of the dragon. Whether there's a dragon there or not is irrelevant. They see the dragon. You don't see the dragon. You're either lying or stupid. Does this apply over here? Should parents just never, ever challenge the anxiety because it, it turns their kids off? It makes them not want to talk to them because the anxiety, just like the dragon, is very real to them. Well, Gabe, I have to tell you, my biggest epiphany from this film was trying to understand what anxiety feels like for my daughter. And having empathy for that, because as a parent, to, to Joan's point, you know, get over it. You know, no, this isn't happening. Understanding that what my daughter is feeling is real and trying to see it through her eyes and allowing her to be who she is and not who I want her to be was my biggest epiphany from making this film. It brought us closer it, it gave us the opportunity to understand each other a little bit better. And I will completely confess that when I do something that does poke the bear, my daughter will say to me, you made a movie about anxiety and you're still doing it wrong. So, you know, I'm not perfect. And I think that pursuit of perfection as a parent is, is just a losing battle, but we can try to do better. We can try to understand this better and come at it from a different point of view. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. 
Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right, a guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back discussing how to help young people with anxiety with Laura Morton and Joan London. We know that the vast majority of parents love their children. What is stopping parents from having more success with this? Why are parents having such trouble helping their kids manage anxiety? For most, for the most part, both parents are working. And most households have two working parents. And it's difficult for parents to be able to deal with all these anxiety issues and to try to get their kids off the social media or, or off the games. Um, it's really hard. And then on top of that, the parents are exhausted just from the pace of life today. And then you put on top of all of that an atmosphere of discourse in the United States. We have a crisis of civility. And, you know, as a nation, if we really want to own up to what's going on, Adults have horrible discourse, volatile, um, on social media, on their own platforms, at each other, now even erupting in their communities, in their, you know, the PTA meetings, and they're all screaming at each other, and they've become so divided and so volatile, and we think this is not going to have an effect on our children? You know, this this volatile atmosphere and this divide that has occurred in the last few years has got to leave our teenagers feeling really vulnerable and scared. And, you know, unfortunately, it just feels like it's getting worse and it feels like it's becoming normalized and excused. And the more that happens with the adults in this country, I think that's just going to exacerbate the problem of um, teenage uh, unrest uh, and a feeling of being vulnerable and scared and angst. Yeah. And anxious. I mean, by the way, and thus we are left with an anxious nation. (laughs) But throughout America's history, we have had all sorts of periods of political unrest or where people were divided. I'm, I'm thinking of extreme examples like the civil war or the civil rights movement. Given that, why do you think that anxiety is more of an issue now? I don't want to always go back and blame social media, but (laughs) I do think that social media coming into our lives, giving people the ability to say whatever they want to say with anonymity online, and they're really igniting volatility in society. Then couple that with over the last, you know, five, six, seven years, our politicians because in an effort to win and and bring along their constituents, they have gotten more and more and more out of line in what they say and in their um, their freedom of speech to be able to, you know, say caustic and dangerous things out in the public. It's just raised this feeling that 
well, that's just the way it is today. That's kind of normal. Well, there's really nothing normal about what's going on. We're all out of control. I, I also want to say that a couple of things. One, look, we've had volatility in this country for, for a long time. I think we're seeing it on, on a heightened level for sure. But I think about, you know, the 1960s. Um, I think the other issue here to your your question is we do have a, a generation of anxious parents who never dealt with their own anxiety because, frankly, they they either didn't know what they were dealing with or they didn't know how to, right? So in an effort to not have their kids feel the way they do, they try to fix the problem. They say, I, you know what, I'll take care of that for you. You don't have to learn how to move through something difficult. You know, I think that our, our experts do talk about the fact that hard things happen in life. That's life, right? And it's how we move through it. You know, people think anxiety is is all about what happens out here, right, outside. But it really is about how we process what's happening outside. And so I think it's really important to understand that we have this generation of very, very anxious parents who just don't want their kids to feel the same way. And in that effort, they're actually doing more harm than good. You know, and I don't disagree with jo- what Joan's saying about social media. I certainly think that that's given people a platform, right? But people are who they are. And that platform allows them, you know, when pe- you know, that it's, it's Maya Angelou who said, when people show you who they are, believe them, right? So mm-hmm. people are who they are. And they're, if they're going to use that platform to spread ugliness and hate and all of the, the negativity that we're seeing in this world, that's who they are. You know, and, and Joan, I think you're 100% right. And, and, and if they think that that's not going to impact their kids, think again. As I'm sitting here thinking about it, I, I do agree that social media has has caused issues. And and listen, I'm, I'm a podcaster and an influencer. I've built my entire career on social media. So it, it's not that I disagree either. But the thing that I keep coming back to is, look, it's here to stay. There, there's nothing we can do about it. It's, it's sort of like saying this day would be beautiful if it wasn't raining. Well, mm-hmm. I agree with you, but it is raining. So what's the plan? <laughs> How do we move forward? How do we save the, the picnic, the wedding? And I guess that's my question. Social media is here to stay. How does an individual parent, adult move forward? What can we do? It's not, I don't think that, I think that, I think the social media companies have to be held accountable because they know the damage they're doing, right? We have all throughout the, the, the film, we, we show statistics that come from Facebook, they come from Meta, that come from Instagram, that come, it is their own internal studies that we use. So they know the damage that they're doing. They know that an algorithm will take a kid down a rabbit hole. So if the, if the kid is depressed and they're watching TikTok and, you know, they'll be on a feed that just takes them right down that rabbit hole. It's designed to do that. I honestly believe that we have to hold the companies accountable. They need to do better. We need to demand better. Any significant change that's going to come in that arena is going to have to start with people saying, no more. And the government isn't doing it, right? The government isn't doing a lot of things when it comes to mental health. Listen, I love and appreciate that the president of the United States had the cast of Ted Lasso show up to the White House this week to talk about mental health. But that was the cast of a TV show with a character who has mental health. Where were the experts? Where were the real families going through this? 
As someone who lives with bipolar disorder, I'm always fascinated by that. I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm here. I'm right here. I live with panic attacks, anxiety. I'm right here. I would love to talk right. to you. And it's like, no, what we've done is we've brought an actor in who portrays somebody with your illness and they're the experts now. And they're the experts. Right. And I love Ted Lasso. I love Jason Sudeikis. Like, I, I feel bad for saying it. Me too. But me too. Yeah. Yeah. Why were they? Yeah. What they should do is they should have me come and teach an acting class. Right. Because I have panic disorder and anxiety. So therefore I can teach acting. That's 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 clearly the other side of that. I, I understand your 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 point, all joking aside. Laura, before we end, I, I want to ask, how is your daughter doing now? Thank you, Gabe. You know, we have we it's it's a journey. And it's a journey that that we're on together. So she has good periods and challenging periods. What she's done, though, and I'm so proud of her, is that she now knows that she can do something about it. And someday she practices that and someday she doesn't. But what she is doing, which I'm incredibly proud of her for, is she's using her voice as a youth advocate. She's working with the Born This Way Foundation as a mental health youth advocate. She uh, is on the UCLA Youth Advocacy Board, and she feels if she can help one other kid because she's talking about it because she's being vulnerable because she's putting herself out there then it will be worth going through all of this so that they feel seen and heard and they do not feel alone laura joan thank you so much for being here and to all of our listeners please check out the new documentary anxious nation which opens theatrically on may 5th in new york and los angeles and will also be available in their virtual cinema at anxiousnation.com Finally, towards the middle of May, you can watch Anxious Nation on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. I'm also the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, which is available on Amazon, but you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe. It is absolutely free. And hey, can you do me a favor? recommend the show. Tell a friend, a family member, mention it in a support group, post it on social media, send a text message because sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. 1 in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.